0: Section 5. Of Through East Anglia in a Motor Car. By J. E. Vincent. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 3. Of Through East Anglia in a Motor Car. By J. E. Vincent. Winter. Norwich to London. By Roman Road. Practical Observations. Roads the surface is reasonably good and the milestones are legible so long as the road is in norfolk on entering suffolk the milestones are often found illegible and the surface of the road becomes noticeably worse the main road from colchester to london via the east end of london is of fairly good quality but traffic is very troublesome during the later part hills between norwich and ipswich are no hills of at all a serious character on this route except when surface is very soft at stratford st mary on crossing the river towards colchester is a fairly stiff ascent and the colchester vicinity is hilly but not difficult for cars of moderate power note well great care should always be observed in leaving norwich the streets being narrow crooked and full of risk and the way difficult to find distances norwich to london marble arch one hundred and fourteen and three quarter miles norwich to long stratton ten and a quarter miles long stratton to skull nine and a quarter miles skull to thornton parva four and three quarter miles thornton parva to thwaite two and three quarter miles thwaite to claydon eleven and three quarter miles claydon to ipswich four miles Ipswich to Colchester, six and three quarter miles. Colchester to Chelmsford, thirteen and a quarter miles. Chelmsford to Romford, fourteen and three quarter miles. Romford to Stratford, eight miles. Stratford to Marble Arch, six and three quarter miles. Norwich was left behind in mingled sorrow and regret the next morning. For, on the one hand, it seemed a sin to leave so fascinating a city practically unexplored, and, on the other, frost had given place to rain, and the rain having abated, the air was mild and warm, so that motoring promised to be entirely pleasant. However, other visits to norwich were a certainty in the future so off we went gaily but lord to copy mr pepys were ever streets so straight or so prodigal of angles as these where some folk were hastening to their business at the assizes while others on cars garlanded with significant ribbons were clearly bound for election work in mid Norfolk, where it was the polling day. Of a surety, a pilot was needed, and we had one. Undoubtedly, although Tilney All Saints is far away in marshland, the epitaph appearing there, and here quoted, must have been written by a Norwich man, and by no other. This world's a city full of crooked streets death is the market-place where all men meet if life was merchandise then men could buy rich men would always live and poor men die so hey for ipswich and london for at last we are on a straight road which hardly curves before ipswich is reached THE AIR SEEMS SOFT AND BALMY AFTER THE FROST OF THE DAY BEFORE, AND, CROWNING BLESSING OF ALL, THE SURFACE IS GOOD AND EVEN. THIS FACT, COMPLETED AND ROUNDED OFF BY PLAINLY LEGIBLE MILESTONES, SEEMING TO FOLLOW ONE ANOTHER AT INTERVALS satisfactorily SHORT, INDUCE US TO PASS AN INFORMAL VOTE OF THANKS TO THE COUNTY SURVEYOR OF NORFOLK. AND THE HEAPS OF REPAIRING MATERIAL AT REGULAR INTERVALS ALONG THE ROADSIDE CALL FOR OBSERVATION ON MORE THAN ONE GROUND. THEY ARE ALTERNATE HEAPS OF BLUE STONE, GRANITE PROBABLY, BROKEN INTO COMMENDABLY SMALL PIECES, AND OF SOME WHITISH MATTER, PROBABLY CHALK, DOUBTLESS USED FOR BINDING. THIS MAY NOT BE IDEAL road making in fact it is not for the smaller the stones are broken and the less the use of any kind of binding material the better the road will be in all weathers but it must be admitted that this road was remarkably good on a morning when fairly heavy rain it turned out that there had been much more of it further south had followed shrewdly sharp frost for the good surface we had to thank modern times for a straightness of direction having the double advantage of saving labor and sometimes rendering a really exhilarating speed prudent we had to thank the roman invasion of britain it was the first time on this tour when passage through the air gave one that almost undefinable feeling of thrusting through liquid and cool purity for cold is horrid but coolness is bliss which is one of the chief pleasures of automobilism it was also after we had passed caister by norwich the first time we had been on a road that was once undoubtedly roman Here since in the course of our wanderings we shall be upon roman roads fairly often and upon reputed roman roads much more often i am going to take the bull frankly by the horns and to dispose at once of a problem which taken in detail might be tedious nor shall any apology be offered for saying here once and for all on the authority of mr haverfield almost all that needs to be said concerning the roman occupation of east anglia and of its roman roads in the course of this volume the digression shall be made as brief as may be it can of course be omitted by those who know the subject and by those who do not desire to learn both will have the consolation of knowing that there is next to nothing of the same kind afterwards those who do desire to learn may be informed of that which is a commonplace to everybody who has given any attention to the story of the romans in britain that mr haverfield knows all that is ascertainable on the subject and at least as much as any other living man as for the dead none of them since the fifth century at any rate have had the chances we have of ascertaining the truth although posterity may learn more for our sources of knowledge will be available for it and there is or may be a vast amount of information to be obtained still by the intelligent use of the homely spade the antiquary no less than the politician appeals for spade work especially in east anglia one or two principal facts must be borne in mind county divisions are of course long post-roman they have no meaning in relation to Roman Britain, which was simply a remote and not very important province of the empire. By the end of the year AD 46, the Romans had overrun the south and the midlands of England, annexing part entirely, leaving the rest to protected native princes. Such were the princes of the Iceni, who occupied norfolk most of suffolk and part of cambridgeshire and for intertribal reasons took the side of the conquerors at the outset the iceni rebelled twice the first effort was puny they were defeated and they returned to their native princes then in a d sixty one came the affair of boudicca better known as bodicea the british warrior queen and so forth it is quite an interesting little story of which our poetic dramatists might easily have made use and it is told shortly because judging from personal experience the details may not be generally familiar Besides, they are essential to an understanding of East Anglia as a field for the prospector, so to speak, on the lookout for Roman finds, and to know of how little account East Anglia was under the Romans is to understand the more easily why many so-called Roman remains are really not Roman at all. The Icenian prince prosutagus dying had bequeathed his private wealth to his two daughters and the emperor nero such was the fashion of the time to satiate a greedy emperor with a heavy legacy lest he should confiscate the whole fortune prosutagus hoped thus to save his kingdom for his family as well as a part of his private wealth he did not succeed the roman government stepped in and annexed his kingdom while its officials emphasized the loss of freedom by acts of avarice bad faith and brutality against boudicca or bodicea the widow of praesutagus her daughters and the icenian nobles all this happened when the roman governor was away fighting in north wales and his absence enabled the rebellion which bodicea immediately headed to gain temporary and very substantial success her icenian warriors destroyed a whole roman army three roman towns and seventy thousand lives then suetonius came with his trained legionaries a single great battle destroyed the icenian power forever and their whole country was laid waste we hear no more of the icenian history their sometime territory of little agricultural value in those days simply became a part of the province thinly populated having a few country towns and villas centres of large estates in it we have no reason to look for traces of large military stations of early roman date for as we have seen the iceni were wiped out of existence in a d 61 and after hadrian built his wall from carlisle to newcastle in a d 124 the frontier on which rome always kept her soldiery was never to the south of that wall some military stations there are of later date fourth century which were erected for the specific purpose of beating off the saxon pirates hence and hence only the phrase the saxon shore who began to raid the southern and eastern coasts of england running up the rivers in their vessels of shallow draught such were brancaster guarding the mouth of the wash and borough castle defending the outlets of the waveney and the yare and with them we shall deal later in their place as for the roads they all radiated from london as indeed they do still in large measure one pass direct from london to colchester and thence by stratford st mary and long stratton and scole to caister by norwich such names as stratford and stratton unless shown to be of modern origin are strong evidence of roman occupation and at scole where the road crosses the waveney and enters norfolk have been found some roman remains and perhaps traces of a paved ford. That is the road on which we are now travelling. Caister by Norwich, where we should not have seen much if we had halted, that is the worst of these Roman remains, is in all human probability Venta isonorum, concerning the situation of which debate used to be carried on vehemently. What we might have seen is a rectangular enclosure of earthen mounds covering massive walls, having bonding tiles and flint facing to a concrete core, the walls themselves being visible on the north and west, and a great fosse surrounding the whole. Its area is about thirty-four acres, and there were towers at each corner a careful analysis of the evidence leads to the sure conclusion that this was a small country town and not a great military fortress this particular road crossed the ipswich river a few miles to the northwest of ipswich and a branch from it ran by way of goodenham to peasonhall thence it can be traced due east to yoxford where it ends so far as our certain knowledge goes from Peasenhall, another direct road can be traced as far as the waveney near Weybridge, and no further other roads there are of uncertain roman origin but the most important of them was the Pedders or peddlers way which can be traced with certainty from barningham in suffolk to fring about seven miles from brancaster and perhaps even to holm which is nearer and is indeed one of the supports for the theory concerning the nature and origin of brancaster but the modern roads seldom follow its course a roman road was supposed to run from caister down a market and across the cambridgeshire fens to peterborough but its existence is hardly proved in norfolk and its origin is hardly clear to demonstration in cambridgeshire these are all the roman roads which need concern us and the references to roman roads in guidebooks and on ordnance and other maps may be disregarded this is written not at all by way of disparaging the ordinary guide-books some of which are monuments of learning and industry and by no means in any mood of conscious superiority there is no credit at all in knowing that which mr haverfield has made easy and until he coordinated ordinated the facts and sifted the evidence IT WAS PRACTICALLY IMPOSSIBLE FOR ANYBODY BUT A SPECIALIST TO KNOW THE TRUTH. HE IS A SPECIALIST OF THE TRUE SCIENTIFIC TEMPERAMENT, EAGER TO ACQUIRE KNOWLEDGE, CAUTIOUS IN INFERENCE, AND IT IS TO BE FEARED THAT HE AND HIS LIKE KNOCK A GOOD DEAL OF ROMANCE OUT OF TRAVEL IN ENGLAND. WHAT THEY LEAVE, HOWEVER, IS REAL and it is worth stating once and for all at any rate we were on a roman road with a sound british surface on this genial january day for genial it was by contrast with those which had gone before and we sped along gaily regretting not so much that a great deal of norfolk is hilly as that when there came a tempting downhill stretch there was generally a village or a cross-road at the bottom to counteract the temptation. Such were the circumstances as we passed down into Long Stratton, where our eyes were delighted by the first specimen on the roadside of the round church-towers of Flint for which East Anglia is famous. Many theories there have been as to the origin of this peculiar form of tower— but the best of them because the most obvious and simple is that of mr j h parker they are built round to suit the material and to save the expense of stone coins for the corners which are necessary for square towers and which often may not have been easy to procure in districts where building stone has all to be imported now we bade leave to hills for a while and at dickleborough the floods were out in some force scole came next a pleasing many gabled village with a fair share of scotch furs and once a great coaching centre it also contains the white hart inn of which mr rye writes of course the best known inn in the county was that at skoll built by james peck a norwich merchant in sixteen fifty five the sign costing one thousand and fifty seven pounds and being ornamented with twenty five strange figures and devices one of which was a movable one of an astronomer pointing to the quarter whence the rain was expected there was also an enormous reproduction of the great bed-of-ware which held thirty or forty people the inn itself is a fine red-brick building with walls twenty-seven inches thick and with a good oak staircase scole by the way is only just in the county of norfolk and there is room for doubt whether the white hart was ever so famous as the maid's head at norwich mr rye however is entitled to be modest in this matter even if modesty lead him into inaccuracy for he saved the maid's head from being modernized by buying it out and out and restoring it in perfect taste may the motor car bring back prosperity to the white heart and may the white heart merit it it is well situated at the crossing of two trunk roads that on which we were travelling and the Berry and yarmouth road in our case it was not convenient to halt here we entered suffolk crossing the waveney and a country of road surfaces far worse than those traversed up to that point the rain had apparently fallen more heavily than it had near norwich but it had not rained gravel an infamous material for road-making nor could it account for the weary attitude of the tumble-down and illegible milestones as it was when hills were encountered the panhard was hard tried and the driving-wheels although they wore anti-skid gaiters revolved many times more than the distance covered by them warranted there was simply no hold for the wheels in the dirty porridge-like mud concealing a crumbling subsurface and now and again although no great height above the sea had to be climbed the gradients were almost trying owing to the bad surface shocking bad roads Luncheon sadly deferred in consequence and the certainty of much travelling after dark if london were to be reached that evening may be accountable for the fact that between scole and ipswich the only point that seemed worthy of a passing note was a church on the left-hand side i think at yaxley clearly visible from the road and having a good parvice over the porch it has been written i think at yaxley in all honesty for it is not always possible to identify on a map the village through which the car is passing nor always easy to consult the map even when travelling at moderate speed blessed be the villagers that proclaim their titles even by modest boards on the post offices as many do in east anglia for by such boards is the traveller saved from the scorn poured upon him who asks of a rustic the name of his native village this is an almost universal phenomenon so frequently an occurrence that one is tempted to speculate as to its origin and that may be that the normal rustic painfully conscious of the narrow limits of his own knowledge feels that he has encountered a fool indeed when he meets anybody who is more ignorant than himself although it be but as to a single and quite trivial point the one important thing about luncheon at the great white horse thrice welcome as it was to us was the sad fact that it did not begin until three o'clock of the places passed through between ipswich and london or of their appearance and their story at any rate little shall be said here for two reasons or even three the first is that having once stayed at colchester for ten days and more going out motoring every day and studying colchester itself full of interest at many odd times i deal with colchester and excursions from it in another chapter the second is that after it grew dark that is to say not long after we left colchester behind our journey seemed to become exciting and mysterious in a degree hardly conceivable of which it is hoped to reproduce an impression and the third last and most cogent is that this chapter grows full long already for the small portion of road of which it really treats we pass then to colchester via Copdock, capel st mary and stratford st mary here we entered essex and the name of the village reminded us again of the antiquity of the road and so passing especially after capel st mary we encountered some hills which would not have seemed despicable to a weak car through colchester its outlines rendered picturesque by the fading light we hastened setting our course for chelmsford but we were hardly a mile outside colchester before the lamps had to be lit and the darkness came down upon us like a curtain now it was my turn to fail as a pilot and a guide it has been said that i had motored round colchester every day for ten days at least and that not long before i had in fact followed the essex manoeuvres of 1904 in a lanchester on business and had stayed on for pleasure afterwards but on that occasion except in a futile effort to see a night attack on Colchester during pitch darkness, there had never been occasion to use the lamps, and it was astonishing to find how vast a difference the darkness made. We halted at Calverdon to procure water. We would have taken tea there at a roomy inn of old time if the mere mention of tea had not seemed to paralyse those who were in charge of the house. I had been through Calverdon at least a score of times before, yet I had to ask its title. In Whittam, the long and straggling congregation of houses three miles beyond, I had been interrupted at luncheon in an inn by a sharp fight between the armies of Sir John French and General Wynne. Yet I could not recognise the place at all in the gloom. Chelmsford revealed itself by process of inference. There was no other considerable community to be expected at this point, and Chelmsford it must be, and was. After this, all was fresh and mysterious. Ingatestone I had visited before, and passing lovely some of its environment which we shall see by daylight some day had been found to be to brentwood there had never been occasion to go so there was no shame in failing to recognize it on we sped a dozen miles which what with feeling our way in the darkness and the impossibility of calculating distance accomplished here was one of the cases in which a recording instrument would have been useful, seemed to be at least a score. Surely we must be approaching the environs of London, for there was a glow of light ahead, and there were railway lights to the left, and beyond them more lights still. Not a bit of it. The lights ahead turned out to be merely Romford, those on the left beforehand must have been hornchurch even romford was at last detected only by virtue of a fortunate glance at some public office again we were out in the open country as it seemed in the dark although no doubt the rural illusion would have vanished by daylight after that in a short time lamps began to appear regularly but the mystery and ignorance of us who were travellers was not less than before the pride-destroying fact must be admitted that a glimpse of seven kings station only set me thinking of the two kings of brentford with whom the seven can have no reasonable connection that ilford was new to me save by name and that i began half to think it possible that like the turkish admiral who having been sent on a voyage to malta came back to say that the island had disappeared we might have missed our course by many miles and might be skirting london to the north multitudinous lights stretching far away over the left front aided the illusion then came a reassuring advertisement that of the stratford empire a distinct presage of the east end of london and before very long on our left was a row of houses quite respectably old among many that were horribly modern the old houses were at a guess not earlier than queen anne but the mind went back further to reflect that Stratford had been Stratford at a Bow in Chaucer's time, and that there his prioress had learned to speak French full, fair, and fettersly at the Benedictine nunnery. To my friend, at any rate, the environment of the Mile End Road was familiar, for he and his car had been busy electioneering there as for me the pangs of hunger notwithstanding i was fascinated by the deft way in which he slipped through the traffic truly the motor-car is capable of marvellous dirigibility in skilful hands eftsoons were we in whitechapel breathing a murky atmosphere of naphtha and fried fish so all pervading that at the moment the very thought of food seemed nauseous it is surely one of the standing mysteries of creation where all this multitude of fishes can have their origin so at precisely nine o'clock in the evening we passed up holborn out of the city of london and for the purposes of this book our subsequent proceedings were of no interest let us before closing the chapter see what had been gained by this tour in midwinter well first it was a conviction that although motoring in winter is a cold occupation productive of some absolute pain for it hurts to be really cold and of a compensating increase of appreciation for familiar comforts it is distinctly better then not motoring at all. This conviction I should probably retain, in spite of a constitutional dislike to cold in all circumstances except those of heavy snow when falling, which I am content to believe, without trying it, is all but an absolute bar to motoring. If you have a screen, the snow destroys its transparency. If you have not a screen, it blocks your vision and covers up your eyes or goggles. Moreover, on high and fenceless roads, where the motorist is most liable to be overtaken by snow, the white mantle obliterates the track and renders movement full of perils. But something more substantial than this conviction was gained during these three days they were days be it remembered when the face of nature in what may be called a tamed country is at its worst they had been spent in traversing districts up to that time for the most part unknown to me but there remained much of east anglia familiar to me in summer and in winter dress which have been purposely omitted in this effort to gain a general impression of the country i pictured to myself the breezy uplands of the sandringham district the pines the heather and the bracken as i had seen them many a time in summer sunshine and in stormy winter fancy filled the brown ploughland we had passed a sea of yellow corn i remembered the beautifully umbrageous lanes and roads of eastern essex where they rarely shroud the elms in the barbarous fashion prevailing in berkshire and other counties the strange crops whole fields of dahlias for example which i had seen in the seed growing districts the heavy laden orchards upon which it must be admitted Mr. Thomas Atkins levied heavy toll in 1904. So remembering, I concluded there and then that I should find ample satisfaction in my task, but at that time I had not seen a tithe of the characteristic scenery of East Anglia. Ely, rising majestic from the plain— the very singular and impressive run along the sandy coast from cromer to wells next sea the road on thence to hunstanton and lynn the glorious expanses of heath in many parts of norfolk and suffolk the extraordinary hedges of fir along the roadside near elvedon and in many another place all these things and a score besides were as a sealed book to me. The book has been open now, and its prodigal variety of infinite charm appalls me, even though a substantial part of my pleasant duty has been accomplished. End of chapter three